According to a new poll conducted by the San Diego Union-Tribune and 10 News, the San Diego mayoral race is tightening. Councilwoman Barbara Bree leads with 37%, with Assemblyman Todd Gloria with 34%. Both are Democrats, and these numbers are within the survey's margin of error. However, SurveyUSA's polling quality has been criticized in California, calling into question these data points. Still, here's where the race stands. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. David Garrick, you cover City Hall for the San Diego Union-Tribune, so a new poll is a big day for you. Let's start with the 10,000-foot view. What was the state of the mayor's race before this poll? Well, Todd Gloria won, uh, finished first in the, in the March primary and, and was well ahead of Barbara Bree by 66,000 votes. And Bree barely squeaked into the second slot of the runoff. She had to actually wait for voter updates of absentee ballots from the registrar of voters during the almost the entire month of March. So he was considered the favorite. Um, well, one point to make, they're both Democrats, but she sort of positioned herself to the right of Gloria, a little more moderate as a Democrat. Uh, and the third person, the guy who finished third, was a Republican named Scott Sherman. So a lot of those votes might be going to Barbara Bree. We're not sure, but that seems like a reasonable expectation. Yeah, and it's worth noting that the March primary occurred while, you know, the presidential primary for the Democrats was still competitive. So I imagine that had another degree of effect as well. You definitely would have expected that Democratic turnout would have been higher than Republican turnout. And the conventional wisdom is that Democrats are a little bit more likely to vote for Gloria and Republicans are a little more likely to vote for Bree. But again, they're both Democrats. Mm-hmm. So given that we have this race, that's two Democrats, can you describe their coalitions? Like where are you seeing the dividing lines between the Gloria camp and the Bree camp? Well, I mean, it's not like you would traditionally maybe expect. I mean, Gloria has gotten most of the major labor union endorsements. Um, he's also gotten a lot of corporate uh, support. So he's kind of got support the Chamber of Commerce. So he's got support from groups that generally are not necessarily aligned. And Bree hasn't really gotten a lot of that institutional support. Gloria was also uh, endorsed by the County Democratic Party, even though the two candidates are both Democrats. And that was before the primary. Um, so Bree has, has, has tried to sort of um, send her message to, I guess, ordinary San Diego sing, single family homeowners, talking about how uh, their neighborhoods may change with some of the uh, density uh, rules that Gloria has supported. Uh, she voted against extending the city's eviction uh, moratorium, uh, sort of a, not going with her fellow Democrats on the council a couple weeks ago, which, I mean, I, I'm guessing part of that was to try to show that maybe she's more of a moderate. Um, anyway, and, and this poll seems to indicate that maybe that's working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because in this kind of race, you kind of have to be specific in what messages you target in order to create that division. Otherwise, you know, people might just go with the name that they recognize better. I have to say, covering City Hall uh, for a long time, uh, you know, Barbara Bree and Todd Gloria are so similar on so many issues. And I think because she was the underdog, she sort of had to look for issues that she could differentiate herself from Gloria on. But I'm not saying that she's running a fake campaign. I mean, I think she does believe these things. I just feel like she also felt maybe some pressure, um, impetus to distance herself from Gloria. If she says, he and I agree on everything, vote for me instead of him. I mean, that's not really a very strong message to send to a voter. Her her take was that he's a career politician and I'm a businesswoman, a high-tech entrepreneur. I'll come in with fresh ideas. But, you know, she was getting, she was, that that was not going to win her the race, it appeared. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like uh, similar to what we saw on the national level in which uh, Joe Biden took a much more moderate approach kind of versus Bernie Sanders as the race uh, thinned out in March. And we're still kind of seeing that debate happen in Democratic circles today over how progressive should a party be? Like, should you try to have a big tent that includes moderate Republicans and independents or should you go extreme just to one end or the other? No, I think you saw that at the Democratic National Convention. I think they were struggling. They wanted to appeal to the Bernie Sanders wing, but they also wanted to tell sort of middle of the road voters, Joe Biden's your guy. And it's really difficult to do those two things simultaneously. You know, it's a it's not an easy trick. I think the Republicans had an advantage. They just went to one one group, you know, Trump's Trump's base. So mm-hmm. uh, anyway, let's go back to local politics. And I'd say this poll was surprising and we shouldn't even underplay it in any way. I mean, Gloria has still been considered a heavy to moderate favorite in this race. So for her to be leading in this poll, even though it's within the margin of error, it's still quite surprising. Maybe maybe not to her camp and her campaign, but I think to the average person, Gloria is still considered a front runner. Um, it's also important to note, though, that this is right at the time when the campaigns are just going to kick into high gear with mailers, with advertising. Uh, he was able to afford television ads for the March primary. I don't think she was. Maybe she had one or two, but he had he had significantly more. He is supported by a lot of local uh, corporations, and he's got independent expenditure committees supporting him. So this is a, a small lead. It's within the margin of error, a three percent lead, and it could easily be turned around with a, with an aggressive campaign. It's not that she doesn't have any money. She outraised him actually in the period between February and July. So it's not like he's got a lot of money and she's got none. But I think the perception is that he has more and will have more. So that could help him close the gap. Um, and another another element to the race, too, um, is is uh, Bree is really focused on the Ash Street debacle, the, the downtown mm-hmm. building. Gloria was there when that deal was approved. Of course, he has pointed out again and again that there's been a lot of decisions made since 2016, the end of 2016, when he left for the assembly and she came in. But that's another issue in this. I don't know how much that's playing, but one thing that is, it was important to note in the poll was that people who think that Kevin Faulkner has done a poor job as mayor, the current mayor, um, and he's who's the person who's considered most responsible for the Ash Street fiasco, that people who think he has done a poor job strongly support Bree instead of Gloria, which lends credence to the fact that maybe her criticisms are are making some some headway. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to say because, you know, the Ash Street debacle is something that we've covered extensively. But at the same time, it's something that may not reach a San Diegan who's not a subscriber to the UT or doesn't follow local politics. So those attacks about this deal, you know, just wouldn't land on voters like that. I would agree with you, Dan. But one thing I would say is that anybody who does read about it, it makes their blood boil. So they don't forget about it. Sometimes people read about something and forget about it. I think when you read about a city making a deal on a building that's costing them millions and millions of dollars when they didn't do the due diligence, they didn't do the proper analysis, when people see that kind of malfeasance and incompetence, I think it makes them angry and they remember it. So I agree with you. Maybe not a huge percentage of people have heard about it, but I think everyone who has heard about it remembers it. Mm-hmm, certainly. And uh, given that we've been in this pandemic for six months and people's you know, pocketbooks are really strained... Do you imagine that things that may be dividing issues in local politics may change now that we've been in this situation for so long? Like, what effect do you think this pandemic will have on kind of what you would expect San Diegans to support or not support? You know, and, that, and that's very interesting. I think both candidates have addressed how it's sort of a, a new world and the city was flush financially and is now in a financial you know, bind because tax revenue is down, especially for San Diego, which relies on tourism and hotel tax revenue. 
Um, but I, I, I feel like neither of the two candidates has really formulated a full-blown COVID-19 response that puts the other to shame. Maybe those are coming. Um, they both conceded that it's changed the race, but I haven't seen either of them take a big stand on that. Um, one thing I think that might be playing a bigger role, and I, I just don't know what's, what's in these voters' minds, is sort of the race protests and those issues. Uh, because because you have two Democrats running against each other, and there's a lot of questions for Democrats. Do you support defunding the police or do you not? Do you feel systemic racism is everywhere? Do you feel like people are overblowing that? And so I think that's an issue that's dividing Democrats, and you have a race with two Democrats in a big city. So I think that issue is likely to play more of a role in this race than the pandemic. I'm not sure, but that would be my guess. Yeah, and just kind of, you know, seeing how politics have been playing out, you would imagine that, you know, younger voters who don't turn out as much would more like be likely to support Gloria because of his diversity and kind of his messages about equality while, you know, people who, you know, respond to the argument that, you know, if we do all these things the so-called radical left wants, your suburban life would be changed. Well, that's probably more of a Robert Reeb voter. I think that's true. The polls show that he's doing better among younger voters and she's doing better among older voters. And one thing I'll say as a reporter, and, and, you know, we always have to be objective, but if you're a San Diego resident, I feel like, I will just tell you, I feel like the city will be in, in solid hands with either of these two candidates. Covering them on city council, they were two of the brightest, most ambitious, most knowledgeable, reasonable council members that I've, that I've, that I've covered. So we have two really quality candidates here, which I think is something to, to, to you know, take solace in. You know, if you want one or the other, I understand that, but neither of these is a clunker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they've certainly done a lot for San Diego over the years. So it's certainly an interesting race from that perspective. Uh, And also, like, because of the pandemic, Californians are getting their ballots, you know, all mailed to them. There's pushes to get people to fill them out faster than normal because of concerns over delays at the post office. Does that change kind of how these campaigns will run in the next couple of weeks, do you think? Yeah, with the mail ballot voting starting October 5th and there being a, an extra pressure to get your stuff in early because of the, the vote counting, I'm guessing that they will push their advertising stuff into the earlier part. We'll see more ads in late September and early October than we have in the past and maybe fewer ads in the days leading up to actual uh, election day, November 3rd. That's my guess. Um, these campaigns are well-funded and they may just blitz it the whole way. Um, you know, But in, in smaller races where money is more tight, I think maybe they'll be more cautious, and I'm guessing the big mailer will go out the weekend before October 5th to make sure that everybody who's going to ma- mail vote is going to you know, see it right then. Well, that's what I would do if I were running a campaign, and I talk to a lot of these consultants, and that's the gist of what they're saying, but they obviously don't want to tell me everything because then the other side knows what they're going to do, and it's a little chess game. So, Yeah, you only know so much. And uh, one point that was also brought up was um, some concerns about the methodology of Survey USA. Uh, people called out the fact that this cross tabs uh, didn't have any black voters, and there was some Twitter threads kind of saying that the way they do it isn't effective. Uh, can you kind of summarize those arguments and the defense? Because you know, there's a reason why we still use Survey USA, even though you know every polling method has its pros and cons. Yeah, that's for sure. And I'm not an expert on polling. I mean, I took statistics in college, you know, 20 years ago, but I I wouldn't call myself an expert. But I can tell you what people are telling me. And certainly critics have raised issues. Uh, The the black voters not being in there, I think, is a smaller one. There were only 16 um, black or African-American respondents to the poll. Um, And so it's such a small number that the statistical, they would have not been statistically significant in any of those cases. So, again, not being a statistician, I bought that argument. It seems to make sense. 
The other argument I think is more uh, profound or interesting. Uh, the, the amount of San Diego voters in recent elections who've been independents is much higher than the number of independents that were in this poll. And the number of Republicans in recent elections is much lower than the Republicans in this poll. So the argument is that Republicans were overrepresented in this poll and independents were underrepresented. I spoke to Survey USA about that, and they said what people, we, they don't ask people on, on the survey, what had, as you, are you listed as on your, your voter registration documents? It's how do you identify yourself? Right. And a lot of people, he argued, the, the, the chief executive of Survey USA, he argued that a lot of people are identifying themselves differently in the wake of the racial protests, in the wake of all the tumultuousness across the country, the debate over masks. There's been so much that's happening that what you registered at six months ago, a year ago, four years ago, maybe is not how you identify yourself today. And a lot of folks who thought they were independents recently have now decided to go one way or the other um, based on recent events. And so that was his argument of why it was skewed. Another criticism that was raised was the percentage of likely voters. This is more of a scientific argument, but there were 534 registered voters polled and Survey USA deemed 517 of them as likely. It's like 97% or something. That's a really high number. That seems registered voters, 97% of registered voters never vote. His response to that was that the people called on landlines are from voter rolls. Right. And so it's like they, you know, that's a, a captive audience. He also said the people who are going to go through and listen to an automated poll and answer all the questions are people who are generally interested in politics and who are generally likely to vote. Right. And so a lot of people who aren't that interested, when they get this poll, they're going to maybe answer the first couple questions and hang up or maybe just hang up immediately. Right. And so the folks who actually were willing to sit through this poll, I don't know how long it took, a few minutes. Right. Are, are more likely to be likely voters. So his argument was that it isn't skewed. I'm not an expert. I, I, I can just give both sides. We're writing a follow-up story today about the criticisms of the poll and then his defense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. And also doing a poll on a city is more difficult than doing it on a state or a nation because that geography makes it much more complicated. You're probably right. I'm not an expert on that, but it makes sense. Mm -hmm. And the other news out of this poll was... Uh, it also asked people their support on a variety of measures. Of the measures they asked, only one had enough support to potentially pass, and that was Measure B. Why is that? Because it feels like everyone else with all the other measures, they didn't know what they were talking about. Uh, well, I would agree with you. Actually, the 30-foot height limit has a slight lead, but, but it definitely looks iffy. Um, so, yeah, uh, Measure B is the one to strengthen the city's police misconduct panel, which is an issue that... I, pretty much everyone agrees with after the number of, of African-American men we've seen, you know, killed by police in the last few months and all the focus uh, on Black Lives Matter protests and all those issues. So uh, I don't think it's surprising. It's way ahead, like 55 percent to 19 percent. Um, so it's very impressive. It looks like it's almost sure to win. But I think everyone sort of knew that. Um, and then the housing bond that requires a two thirds approval that would raise nine hundred million dollars to build housing for lo low income and homeless people by raising property taxes. That one needs two-thirds. It's only slightly ahead, which means it's not close to two-thirds. That was sort of expected as well. The, the mm -hmm. one that people had their eye on was this uh, proposal to lift the 30-foot coastal height limit in the area around the sports arena. And a lot of people think it seems like it's a no-brainer because the city needs to redevelop that area. And it doesn't really affect coastal views because the sports arena, even though it's in the coastal zone, is not really on the coast. However, it's only leading by a very small margin, and 39% or something are undecided which maybe that's a good sign because the campaign by the proponents hasn't begun and maybe that will help boost it, but you, know, you never know. Uh, but yeah, that's surprising. That looks like that's going to be a lot closer than maybe some people had thought. 
Yeah, I feel like, you know, all of the campaigns where you get mailers and see commercials, that really kind of defines the coverage and what happens with the measures. And we're just not really not at that point yet, it seems like. No, but on that one, again, anything can happen. But the opponents appear to be a small group of sort of folks who are frustrated with San Diego becoming more dense. They don't have a lot of funding. They don't have a really strong organization. On the other side, you're going to have these, this development team that was just chosen by the mayor on Saturday to redevelop the sports arena. They have a lot of money, and assuming that they put on the kind of campaign that they're financially capable of putting on, that should should sway, you would think. On the other hand, sometimes one side will spend six times as much as the other, and, and the other side still wins. So it's not like money and a campaign necessarily are magic, and they always manage to, to make things come through. But uh, they usually help, and in this case, I think you would expect that much more money to be spent trying to get the 30-foot height limit lifted than the folks trying to oppose it. Mm -hmm. And finally, as we get into kind of the the third act, the final act of the election, uh, are there any key things that San Diegan should keep in mind when uh, kind of digesting the way local races are going? Well, let me just add uh, add a a quip in there that I think we're going to have a fourth act, the counting process, which is going to last longer than ever before this year. But anyway, um, other things that people should keep in mind – I mean, we didn't do polls on them, but San Diego has five city council races that are happening, and a couple of them are really interesting Democrat versus Republican battles that could go either way. And that'll have an enormous impact. When either Gloria or Bree becomes the new mayor, you'll have a Democrat as the mayor, but what they can do legislatively will be dramatically impacted by how many Democratic council members you have. Right now you have six out of nine. You're either going to have seven or eight out of nine, it looks like. Um, so you know that, that'll be important. Those are interesting to watch. And the, and the mayor's race is going to be fascinating. We haven't had the mayor's seat be open in a long time. Uh, you know, so I think it's going to be a seven. Paulgren's been in for seven years. It's a new city. It's become more blue in this, that, that seven years. Uh, it has new sets of problems, new focus on lack of equity. Uh, it's facing a huge revenue gap because the tourism tax dollars have gone away. So it's a really interesting time for the city, and it's going to be a big decision. Mm-hmm. All right. David Garrick, thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the San Diego News Fix. If you want to include the San Diego Union-Tribune in your morning routine, check out our daily flash briefing. Every weekday morning, hear a quick summary of the day's top stories. Just search San Diego Union-Tribune wherever you get your podcasts, including smart speakers. Until next time.